Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 34 of the Chasing Bravery podcast. My guest today is Anne-Marie Kirkpatrick. I've been following Anne-Marie for a while now on Instagram from afar. Kind of creepy, I know, but we all do it, guys, so don't judge. Anne-Marie, her husband, and their two boys live in Fort Collins, Colorado, where they both work for a super cool nonprofit called Mountains and Plains. The Mountains and Plains Institute for Lifelong Learning and Service is a nonprofit corporation committed to providing high quality and affordable educational courses, travel, and service learning opportunities for adults. They believe that learning and giving back to others is a lifelong process and discovering new ideas, sharing challenges, and experiences is the basis of lifelong rewards. Anne-Marie has helped people over 80 summit 14ers just to give listeners an idea of how amazing and rewarding this nonprofit truly is. I highly encourage anyone who thinks this might be something they are interested in to check out the link to Mountains and Plains websites in the show notes. Anne-Marie is also a very speedy runner, like Olympic trials qualifier Speedy. To make her more impressive, while she did run in high school, she didn't start seriously running until after the birth of two boys, both of whom were nine plus pound babies. This woman is a hero. She's coached by her husband and something they are doing is working, as Anne-Marie has impressive PRs of 114 in the half marathon and is going for the A standard OTQ qualifier of 237 this fall. Anne-Marie is down to earth, loves the earth, and is so talented in many areas and was a pleasure to speak with. I'm sure that everyone will enjoy this episode as much as I loved recording it. Quickly before we get on to the episode, I just want to remind everyone to go ahead and leave a rating and review on iTunes if you haven't already. I read all of the reviews and I seriously consider them and I do my best to learn from them and I also do my best to continue to do the things that you guys say that you enjoy. So please keep those coming because I genuinely use them to make the podcast better. All right, everybody, now on to my conversation with Anne-Marie. Hi, Anne-Marie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you so much. This is absolutely awesome. What an honor. (laughs) Oh, well, I mean, the honor's all mine, and I am just really excited to have you on because I number one, find you to be a really impressive runner. Um, but you're also, you're also a mama and you've got the cutest little kiddos. Um, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, who you are, what you do and anything that you think is relevant for our listeners. Yeah. Um, so my name is Anne Marie Kirkpatrick. Um, I am a mom of two boys. Um, and I work for a nonprofit, Mountains and Plains, um, guiding trips all over, like hiking and biking, that kind of thing. Um, and I am a runner <laughs> and a wife. Lovely. So you are, well, let's see. I would love to ask you about your nonprofit because I did not actually know that. And that sounds <laughs> really interesting. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so my husband has worked, gosh, he and his partner, I'm trying to think like 15 years or something. I mean, it sounds crazy to even say that it's almost like half my life. Um, so since the beginning of college and he's just guided trips. Um, so it's there, they have an educational component and, um, they do like right now he is in Yellowstone on a photography trip and it's just teaching, um, 
photography and they do like some classroom sessions and um, he'll go down to Southern Colorado next week. So I kind of work part-time in the office. Um, you can, as you can imagine, there's lots of like reservations that need to be made and mm. paperwork that needs handled. Um, and then I do, gosh, I used to do more trips, but since having the kids, I probably do like four or five trips a year mm-hmm. of just, um, minor, mainly like hiking in the Moab, Utah area, like Canyonlands and Arches, National Parks, um, the Rocky Mountains. We just did a 14ers trip. So I should explain what 14ers are because I know <laughs> sometimes I say that and people are like, what? <laughs> so in Colorado, um, we have a lot of mountains and there are 54 in Colorado that are over 14,000 feet in elevation. So a lot of people's um, lifelong goals are to climb 14ers and a lot of, um, actually a lot of people from Colorado try to climb all 54 in their lifetime. Um, so it's kind of a big, kind of a big thing here. Yeah. So I will not go into the details because I've told this story on this podcast, but (laughs) I will just say that my boyfriend and I are not, we were a little clueless and we we're visiting Colorado and decided to hike um, because we love to hike, but he Googled like hardest hike in Colorado. Oh no. Long story short, we hiked Long Peak. <laughs> um, we were not acclimated to altitude. We did not know that you needed ice picks. Like it was ridiculous. And yeah. So that's my story. I know what you're talking about when you say 14 And I also feel even more, I, you know, I probably shouldn't even be telling the story because it's almost silly and embarrassing that we did this. And, you know, thank goodness we are safe because right. it's not like a, oh, yeah, we just did that. No big deal. It was like we were foolish and we did this. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Right. So <laughs> you learned from it. That's what's important. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, I can imagine. Yeah. Um. So who is the target? Who are the target audience, like the groups that go? So it used to be kind of um, geared towards uh, seniors, but in the past, I want to say five to six years, they've opened it up to anyone. So um, any age can go. Um, they just try to make the trips. It used to be done a lot through like colleges. So mm-hmm. it started out as the nonprofit was through CSU, Colorado State University, which is here in Fort Collins. And um, then they were not interested in continuing the programs. And so that's when Mountains and Plains um, was formed and my husband and his partner kind of took over managing and overseeing all these trips because they thought it was really worthwhile. And um, one thing that we, my husband and I both really um, believe to be true is that being in the outdoors um, just helps people in general mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, it creates this caring for the earth that kind of um, helps with buy-in for why we should protect our national parks and things like that. So we think it's really valuable for people to not only be outside, but be educated about the outdoors and the mountains and, and, um, climbing 14 or safely. I mean, like you just said, <laughs> it's, 
it, there really are people who come on trips and they're like, now what is a 14er? And we're like, okay. Right. <laughs> so we really make sure to educate about what people will need, what they can expect and just make sure that everybody gets up and down safely and, um, and not everybody makes it to the top and that's okay. And that's part of, uh, I mean, gosh, we could talk about goals and kind of like make this parallel running, which is a <laughs> running podcast, but you know, like just because you don't make it to the top doesn't mean you didn't achieve a really, um, great goal. So it's, it's really inspirational to see. I mean, I've had, I've helped people who are past, you know, over 80 years old climbed. Uh. 14ers and it's like the most amazing thing to see their face like oh wow so inspirational that kind of um makes me it gives me that like I kind of teared up a little like just that yeah that's beautiful and what oh yeah every time I tear up every time it's so (laughs) it's beautiful that I mean that's incredible um and man I wish I had been I wish I had known about your um that, you know, this nonprofit sooner, mm-hmm. I guess, only just because I agree with everything you just said about the, you know, how, you know, there's the immediate benefit, but then there's also these bigger picture things that come from having this um, purposeful, intentional um, way of of getting people outside in a way that's safe, but that also just provides so much education about, you know, this, this beautiful, amazing earth that we live on. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Um, so when you said seniors, did you mean, cause did you mean seniors in college or did you mean seniors, seniors, (laughs) (laughs) seniors, seniors? Yes. Like, um, I think I'm trying to remember what the cutoff used to be. I think it was like over 55, something like that. Okay. And, um, do you get like – I'm sorry that I'm asking so many questions about oh, this. Okay. This is probably not what you anticipated. But um, do you get like uh, groups from like group homes or um, just people who decide they want to do the trip together? Yeah, just all over. So we partner with um, a national organization called Road Scholar that kind of takes care of all the marketing. Mm-hmm. They um, – so through their – and I don't know exactly how it works. Like people will sign up through their catalogs or online or, you know, lots of different ways. And then we just, um, sometimes people will charter trips. We have a few trips that are just mountains and plains. Like, um, my husband goes to Mount Kilimanjaro every January and takes a group, um, to climb that. And that's just people that maybe have been on past trips that, um, have, you know, they have to like prove fitness and, um, obviously have a desire to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's kind of a combination of how people find us. And, um, and we do have some local like um, senior centers that will organize a group of people and then contact about like a specific trip that they want to do. Mm-hmm. So, so, sorry. That's okay. Okay. I was going to say, so if someone wanted to um, if I was to say, like, provide a link to, do you guys have a website? Yeah. So if I was to provide a link in the show notes, could an interested senior or whoever, um, maybe they're interested, it sounds like for, it sounds like, you know, you do groups of all sorts at this point. Um, would they be able to maybe hook into another group or start, you know, design their own kind of trip? Is that 
kind of how it, <laughs> it works. Um, yeah, most of the trips are already set. So I think okay. we um, about, because I mean, the groups that have kind of like chartered, it's, it's a process. Like it takes a couple of years to get a trip on the calendar because there's mm-hmm. lots of, lots of details and reservations and, um, logistics hotels right. have to go so far in advance. Um, when a group is coming group, like groups kind of make things complicated, which is, um, I mean, it just makes sense, right. but it's a, but yes. Yeah, so if they went to the website, they could just look at all the programs and hook into, find something that interested them. And then they would be able to just, um, sign up with friends or with people who are already going. Mm-hmm. So it does kind of make it easy for, um, any type of person. Right. And obviously it would all be dependent on, you know, ability and all of that good stuff, you know, health status and things like that. But okay. That's interesting. Um, I will stop the million questions into that. I just, <laughs> I just, a- Love, I love the concept, um, and I'm just thinking to myself, that's the kind of thing that my mom is going to be doing until she's like 150. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh my gosh, there are people who've gone hundreds of trips. It is amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. And what a great way to spend, you know, especially if you are someone who's in that stage where you're in your retirement years. What a great way to spend it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. It takes all the hassle out of travel because travel can just be, I mean, that's what people say. Like, we just want to go on vacation and have someone take us and not be, you know, worried about where are we going to eat? What are we going to do? What's the best thing? It's already planned. So, yeah. And to do something that has this like very impactful, you know, it's not, it doesn't sound, you know, it's not just a trip. It sounds like it's, it's much more than that. (laughs) Yes. Very fulfilling. Mm -hmm. So, Let's talk now a little bit about your running, um, which is how I came to know you. Um, You are a speedy runner, my friend, and I am so impressed. So let's talk a little bit about that. Where did, like, did you run in college? What was your running journey? Um, I didn't run in college. Um, I started running in high school. I actually was just thinking about the very first race I ever ran was a 400, and um, it was in seventh grade. Um, track course. Um, and I don't know, I just did it because I was from a super small town. So 500 people, um, no stoplights, one gas station. <laughs> um, but um, the, there was a girl, she was a year older than me and she was really good. And um, so I remember running this race against her and I beat her. And I remember feeling like that wasn't supposed to happen. I kind of felt bad. It was weird, (laughs) Uh, but I loved it at the same time. Um, and I didn't know, I mean, I don't know. I just didn't know if I was good or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I ran all through high school and I loved it. I did track and cross country. Um, and we went to state a few times. I, fun fact, got second at state every year (laughs) in the month. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I thought about running in college, but I was more on a kind of like an ap- academic path. Um, my aunt was an engineer and I wanted to be an engineer. So, um, I didn't think I would have time for both. And I think also it just didn't seem like a viable option for some reason. I just, I mean, looking back, of course, and nobody wants to say they have regrets, but that is something that I I mean, I don't know another word for it. I wish I had run in college. Um, I think it would have been really awesome. And um, 
I would have learned a lot. Uh, but yeah, I just, I think I was kind of on my own. I'm one of six kids. So, and I was, I'm second in order. Um, so we kind of were on our own a lot to figure things out and I just didn't know how to make it work. So I think my sophomore year, um, I, I approached one of the coaches and talked to him about walking onto the team at K-State, which is where I ended up going. Mm. And, um, kind of, we kind of like talked about high school times and how I probably was out of shape after a couple of years. And, um, and, and then he, and I, but I was kind of gung ho, you know, like, well, I should just do this. And then he mentioned, well, you know, do you work? And I did, I waitressed in college. So I, Mm. um, worked at a breakfast diner and, um, and then like an evening, uh, just restaurant. And I just thought, Coaches, coaches don't like that. (laughs) Right. They don't like that. Um, And I was just like, oh, I don't really know how I would make it without jobs. And so Mm -hmm. then that kind of squashed that dream. Um, But I mean, it's okay. It worked out. And there's a hundred different ways that it probably worked out for the best. Who knows? Right. So that's kind of how I have to think of it. But um, yeah. It's funny how those things work. Like it most, I think most of the time you, I I mean, Maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but I do find there to be a commonality when people think back about their stories and think about, you know, what maybe they could have done or maybe they should have done. But it always, I don't know, I I tend to find that people tend to be like, you know, it it kind of unfolded as it should have, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, So then how did you, how did you end up becoming a, um, such a speedy marathoner because you are a uh, Olympic trials qualifier. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> that was huge for me. Um, so I, after college, I worked um, in Kansas city for probably about four years. And then my, I met my husband there. Um, he was a runner at CSU and he had, and I, I met him at a wedding. It's a really Aww. like story, but it was it was really fun. Oh, that's um, so sweet. Was it? Yeah. Tell, tell. Let's hear the story. <laughs> so he is a musician, and um, he normally does not play at weddings. But he had this friend from Kansas, and the friend was the one getting married, and so he asked him to play at the wedding. So my husband was the band at this wedding, and um, you know, it was just one of those like magical moments, <laughs> you know, I was, we just, we met and it was like literal fireworks and just, it was just so fun. It was the, the best. Um, <laughs> and I think that meeting him just brought out a lot in me that I didn't even know was there. Um, so he was a runner. And I think when I think back now, I'm like, you know, all the best years of my life were the years when I was running. And I always kind of identified myself as a runner. So even in, you know, um, after college, when I was just full on career mode, um, if I would meet someone who's like, yeah, I just qualified for Boston and be like, oh man, that's cool. I'm a runner too. And they're like, really? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I haven't ran in, you know, seven years or whatever, but yeah, I'm a runner. (laughs) Right. So, but then the years when I actually was running, I feel like were the best years of my life. And so he, um, 
He was trying to qualify at the time. I'm so bad at dates. So we met in late 2008 and he was trying to qualify for the next round of Olympic trials. He was, um, okay. So he's not just a runner. He's a, he's a pretty competitive runner. Yeah, he, he was, um, he did break his ankle and had some, you know, injury issues and wasn't able to kind of continue on that path. But, Mm -hmm. um, we kind of, I don't know, just played, played at running really, because he was kind of coming back from an injury and I was just getting into it. Um, and then it's funny, like the first marathon that we ran, we kind of did it as a, um, engagement celebration. So we just got, I mean, like we really only ran a maximum of six miles at a time. And we thought it would be a great idea to run this marathon as a celebration. It was the Huntington beach and then go backpacking on Catalina Island for the rest of the week. Uh, hashtag <laughs> <And> couple goals. <laughs> we were so destroyed. <laughs> I mean, we're like, we have these hundred pound packs. We had to take two buses and a ferry to get to the island. <laughs> and we're just sitting there like, we can't move at all. We're but, so, anyway. But you were in love. Yes, we were in love. <laughs> So that was my first kind of, and, and it's important because, um, I mean, it's a silly story, but it's also important because I think I didn't take the distance or running in general very seriously. I was like, we we can do this. It's Mm -hmm. fine. We're 20, we were what, 26 or 27 at the time. And I just thought I didn't give it enough credit and didn't respect the distance. And then I was like, okay. I want to do this for real now mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was very, uh, you know, humbling. Right. Right. So then you got married. Yes. So then and we got- you kept training. <laughs> um, so I kind of kept training, okay. but, um, we, so we had kids pretty quickly, uh, maybe like a year and a half in, I suppose. Um, and I, my plan was to train through pregnancy and I did up until about four months. And then I would have never known or guessed. I didn't really ever get that big, but I had a nine pound, 10 ounce baby. That oh I my was goodness. Playing. Your first. Yes. Oh. Horrible. Goodness gracious. I mean, beautiful and lovely, but also like really heavy. So I had to stop training pretty early because it was just too much. I mean, I could mm. feel things going wrong. Wow. So I didn't get, I didn't get too far into training, but yes, had, um, had Owen the first and he was a horrible, horrible sleeper. And I know some people have these great experiences. I had so much trouble with like nursing and sleeping. And so training was out of the question for sure. Uh, and then, um, I was working full time when we got pregnant with our second and he actually turned out to be a lot smaller, but I just wasn't even going to try that time around. So I did some things to kind of stay in shape, but not, um, more just like, like pelvic floor exercises, that kind of thing. I wasn't really long-term thinking about, um, marathoning again or anything like that. So 
then when he was about six months old, I was just, I was still working full time, but I was pretty miserable at my job and I missed my kids. And I always thought like, if I'm going to have kids, why wouldn't I be the one to raise them? I really wanted to be with them. And it was really hard for me to be away. So I, um, I started an in-home business garage band was the name of it. And we, so I mentioned my husband is a musician. We had all these like pianos, xylophones, drums. Um, and I taught music lessons for just a couple hours a day. And that opened up so much freedom in my schedule. And that's when I really started running again. So we got this jogging stroller and, and I love it that my kids were a huge part of like every step of the way in the beginning, they were with me because they'd be in the jogging stroller and running along. I mean, for like three years, I just pushed them around in the stroller <laughs> and like, got all these miles in with them. Aww. So, but the, that combination of things just allowed me to have more freedom and the ability to start training. And then, you know, it just kind of snowballs. Like once you run, um, I mean, I ran like several races and it was just so exhilarating. And, um, and I think another thing that a lot of moms say when they're new is like, you start, if you don't have something for yourself, you kind of start losing yourself a little bit, like your identity of who you are. And, um, I don't think I really got to that point, but I recognized really early that like running helped me just be myself and it made me Um, I've heard a million people say this. It made me a better mom. It truly did. I just love that time and the feeling of connection. And like, um, then as they got older, you know, just the time to myself, because then they were big enough to like either ride bikes or be in school or have a babysitter. And so that time to myself became really important. And that's how I started running again. I can imagine that I don't have children, but I can, I can imagine how running, you know, and, you know, I'm sure that it's one of those things that it's probably, it feels like probably such a privilege that you, you know, you can do it if you are a mother who, you know, is so short on time as it is, but I can imagine how it would kind of fit so many, like it would check so many boxes in terms of like, okay, you know, you're doing something that's going to give you those endorphins that you need to get through the rest of the day. You're, you know, kind of getting some clarity and mental sanity. You're also doing something that is just so, um, connecting in terms of like, I don't know, like running for me is when I feel the most whole. Um, and so, you know, you're getting like that box checked. So I can imagine that it's just, kind of a, it's just such a great thing for, for mothers who, who can, who can run. (laughs) Yes. Multitasking to the max. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And just such a, yeah, such a powerful, um, uh, tool in your toolkit. (laughs) It really does. Yeah, for sure. And then it just makes, I mean, if you can do that, like if you can go push a stroller with your kids for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever, then you just, it's true. You feel so empowered. And then the other things seem so much easier. Mm. It's easy to, it helps, I think. I mean, I've heard of a lot of people just feeling overwhelmed and as, as new moms. And I just think like, oh man, you can do it. I know you can do it, but they have to have some sort of perspective that lets them know they can do it. And I think 
for everybody's different, but for me, running was that thing. Like if I can do that, I can easily just handle, you know, my husband travels a lot and that's probably been one of the hardest things. Um, if he's gone on weeks on for weeks on end and I'm like, okay, I can do this. It's just like, like one day at a time, one step at a time and the, um, and it's worth it, you know? Yeah. So did, um, Oh shoot. What was I going to say? Um, Oh, one thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about your jogger is I have very vivid memories of sitting in the jogger when my mom ran and connecting. Um, you know, I, I have a thing that I drew in kindergarten that basically said like, my mommy loves to run. She is so happy when she runs. Um, you know, and like, that's so simplistic, right? And it's so little kindergarten, you know, kid lingo, but it's just, it's clear, right? That like I connected, um, joy with her being able to run. Like that was her joy. And that, you know, I saw it that way. And like, obviously, you know, something about it was impactful in a good way on me kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think it's, it's good for, it's good for everyone. Um, so your, so your husband travels a lot for work. So was he like, how, how long of a time has he gone? And that does, that sounds like a huge struggle. And did that start when your, um, kiddos were little (laughs) or like throughout? Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of throughout, but, um, man, one of the, um, I don't know, most testing, I guess, which then I'm like, well, I came out stronger on the other side. One of the most testing times. Um, so the youngest was three weeks old and my husband left for seven weeks, um, doing his Africa Mount Kilimanjaro trip. And so it was like, I mean, it was an emotional time anyway, because you're a new, new mom and you have not only a newborn, but a toddler. And it was the middle of Colorado winter and, um, definitely kind of tested my (laughs) strength then. But, um, yeah, he's, he travels quite a bit. So right now he'll be gone for eight out of the next 10 weeks and we're going to kind of go down. So let's see, September 29th, um, Emma Coburn's 5k elk run 5k. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's incredible. So he's traveling from Durango to Moab. So we're going to take, we have a camper trailer and we're going to take that down and meet him in Crested Butte and spend the weekend there. And I'm going to run this race. Um, hopefully I've kicked this cold by then. (laughs) (laughs) It's a funny story that my, um, or it's a small world, I guess you could say, uh, one of my teammates, from um, college, she, her fiance, who was also one of my teammates, designed all of the graphic stuff for that race. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And I love all the graphics for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yep. It's a Sapwood Design Company. He's so talented. He always was. In fact, my, um, I guess my one, you know, claim to fame is, um, or not claim to fame, but like my, my story that I'm now proud of is that the, um, one of the tattoos on my back, um, is of a dragonfly and he drew it. (laughs) So I have his artwork on my back. (laughs) That is cool. That's a claim. Connection. Yeah. It makes me feel pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of got off track a little bit as I do sometimes. What, how did you make the transition from your, um, you know, loving to run and, and running um, kind of as like a sanity well-being thing for you to, you know, now running competitively enough that you qualified for the trials? Because that obviously means that you must have taken it to another level at some point. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I think I've always kind of had like a little bit of a hard time believing in myself. Um, not in a, not in like a self-confidence woe is me kind of way, but like setting big goals. I always think, well, okay, so you say you want to do this, but like what what do you have that shows you could actually do it? Like, where's the proof that, that you could. So I think what kind of propelled it was like running some local races and noticing, you know, I would break PRs by quite a bit and just noticing like a really solid improvement, which was just really fun. And then, um, I would get to, you know, go on to run bigger races or, um, just kind of think about bigger things because I was showing, you know, like proving performance, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of, it was like steps. Like every time I would do something a little bit better, then I would look a little farther away and like, well, what could I do next? Because it was kind of like a, it was just a fun challenge chasing like the best that you can be is probably like one of the funnest things in life to me. Mm-hmm. so whatever it is that kind of like makes people tick and then just trying to be the best at it is, um, really fulfilling. So I'm trying to think when I actually got it in my head, like I want to qualify for the trials. And I think, um, so there's this race that happens every year in Fort Collins. It's the horse half. It's been around for like 40 years. Um, and it's really challenging. Um, And I thought like, if I could run that course and run a good time, then maybe I could, you know, like qualify for the trials. And I tried, um, and I, and I did, so I did really well at the race. And then I ran, um, the LA marathon. I think that was like March of 2000. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't know. So bad with timeline. And I ran, it was a two fifty five, and I was like, Oh man, pretty close. <laughs> so then I just, I don't know. It was like, what's that saying? Something like, um, if you catch on fire with enthusiasm, people will come for miles around to watch you burn. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I, I feel like that was so true. I started getting really excited about it and people were really supportive. I mean, um, and my husband, most of all, he, he was like, if you want to do this, I will coach you. Um, so he's been my coach and he is amazing and so supportive. Um, and I think one of the, um, getting off track a little, one of the great things about, um, I don't know, like starting running later in life, I didn't have the cumulative miles in my legs. So, but as I was getting them, I was getting faster. Like I was seeing results. So it made it exciting. Mm. And, um, and I was able to continue doing that and stay knock on wood injury free. He would get like, 
I think in part because of really solid training plan, but also like he will give me massages whenever I ask. <laughs> That's yeah. really nice. <laughs> I've played a huge part in um, just being able to run for so long and have all these streaks and build on training blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually last year at this time, um, I wasn't yet in the elite field for California international marathon, which is where I qualified for the trials. Um, and I really was, I was so nervous about it because, um, I wanted my own water bottles. I thought Mm -hmm. the LA marathon where I thought I went wrong was nutrition and probably training too. I probably didn't have quite enough training, but I knew that I could really, um, hone in on the nutrition side of it. So I used the race that's coming up this weekend, actually, in Fort Collins, the fall equinox, which I don't think I'm going to be able to run again um, because of my cough. Uh, But it so I needed to get a 118 or faster half marathon in order to qualify for the elite field. So last year at this time, um, I was kind of like putting all my money in the bank for this fall equinox. And I did it. And I got the... um, I got the time to be in the elite field and, um, and then I transferred all of that energy and excitement into just training. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess, I guess that's how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that, I mean, that's just pretty incredible. I, um, yeah, that's really, really exciting. And at this point now, what, is your because you have a pretty speedy half PR? Is it one fourteen? It's one fourteen thirty. Okay, <laughs> I mean that's still one fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then what is your um, marathon PR at this point? Um, so it's from last year's California International. Um, it's two forty four. Um, high. I don't remember exactly, but um, yes. And so as this season has kind of progressed. I've, you know, I kind of like take a PR for a distance and then sort of try and figure out what that might mean. My marathon PR will be like, if I've taken a minute, for example, off of a 10 K, then what would that translate to in a marathon? So my big scary goal for (laughs) California (laughs) international this December is to get the A standard, which is 237 sub 237. So, um, I have a workout coming up that should, um, kind of let me know if I'm on track for that. Okay. So, so far everything's going, been going pretty well. Um, I've had a bit of a down week and then I'll, I'll ramp up and do kind of like an indicator workout and that should tell me a lot. So I'm really excited because last year I did, so it's Yasso 800s and last year when I did it, I was right on um, 244. And for the, so you run an 800 and then you do a recovery lap in the same amount of time that you run an 800 in and you do 10 of them. Mm. And then theoretically, and there's other stuff that goes into it, but theoretically the average of all of your 800s is what you could run a marathon in. So last year when I did that, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm right. (laughs) the line. <laughs> so it was really scary and really exciting. So like everything has to go perfectly. <laughs> and it did miraculously. 
Um, so, so yeah. you were in right under the wire. That must have been stressful. Um, it was. It wasn't because I just felt really good, and I, mm. I, I felt really good the whole race. And okay. early on, I was thinking I could probably go faster, but that the goal wasn't like at that point. I didn't want to, you just never know what will happen in a marathon. You don't want to be 18 miles in and feel like I could go faster and then just blow up the last three miles. And I just haven't run enough marathons to really know if that was fresh legs and tapering kind of, um, playing into that. So I just played it safe, which I don't know, there's probably good and bad <laughs> to that, but no, um, I mean, it sounds like you were, I wanted to run, run smart and I mm -hmm. wanted to figure things out. And then like another race could be a little more experimental. Right. It sounds like you were in that space where you felt like, um, confident enough in your training that you were like, let's just guarantee this and then, you know, save, save the, you know, kind of experimental stuff. Like you said, for another race, it sounds like you were just like, okay, I know I can do this. And so I'm good right here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, you were only a few seconds, you were probably like coming right in maybe a little bit behind. Um, I had, uh, Lauren Florice. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Um, she's the foodie runner on Instagram. Oh I've had, yeah. Yeah. I've had her on Isn't the, that funny? you know, people's Instagram handles more than yes. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm like, is it funny? Is it, is it messed up? Is it like, yeah. what is it? But she's, she's great. And I've had her on the podcast now twice. Um, but she, I'm pretty sure she was like 244, like teens. So you probably were right nice. in that little group with her and you probably didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, so it was really funny because something that sticks out to me about that race was how chatty everybody was. <laughs> um, she said I too. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like, why are these ladies talking right now? Like, conserve your energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. She was kind of saying something along the lines of like, you know, because I think she, at the time, um, she was only, um, I think maybe like 13 or 14 months postpartum. And she was, um, it was kind of a big deal for her to decide to run with the pace group that was going for the qualifier. Um, and she kind of had to like, be like, okay, you either are going to do this or you're not. And you have to like live with the consequences if it doesn't go well. Um, and she was like, wow, people are really chatting up a storm. She said, especially in the beginning. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. <laughs> I, I thought so too. Like, I know I'm pretty new at this, but I feel like <laughs> you were like, what did I miss here? <laughs> yeah. We're not having a conversation. We're doing something big. <laughs> right. I would probably be like, I, I can imagine that it, it, I mean, as long as you weren't expected to like be contributing to the conversation, that it could be kind of peaceful to just like, no, zone exactly. out, you know, I, and listen. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of was fun to listen actually, but I was like, well, I'm like, hopefully nobody asks me anything because I'm not right. there. <laughs> I'm going to be like stone faced straight ahead. Like, Listen, yeah. we're running a marathon here, women. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, well, I think that that race, um, California International, sounds like a really just um, special race, particularly if you're a woman trying to qualify because um, 
just the sheer number of women who do every year. I know, I know the year that you qualified in the year, you know, just last year. I know that that was like a pretty big year for women qualifying, you know, like a very high number. But yeah. still, I just can't imagine how much good energy would be in an environment where so many women are doing this big, incredible thing all together, you know? Yes, you're absolutely right. And even, um, I mean, you're running with a pacer for some of, you know, however much of it you choose to run with a pacer. And so, you know, that everyone around all the women around you are going for that same goal. And I think that, I mean, I don't know, I can't, I guess I can't speak for anyone else, but I felt so proud of our little group, you know, like we were going after something that makes us, I mean, it just makes us feel alive, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I've been talking to people recently about just perspective in life and like how running is so trivial, but at the same time, so important. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and um I remember a girl like we passed the one of the water bottle tables and she was like my bottle is gone and almost everybody and myself included were like if you take a drink of ours like we can all just share and everybody was so it was like we were working together and yes it's a race and everybody wants to do their best but it was also like this common um we just wanted to see others succeed and probably one of the saddest parts of that race was, um, you know, when you get to like mile 20, 21 and people start falling off and it definitely like adds this, it's almost like a little bit of mourning, like, no, mm. make it, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> but then you have to just carry on. <laughs> so right. yeah, it is a very special thing. And I don't think, um, I mean, probably especially since it was like my first qualifying time and my first big like, um, well, not my first big race, but running with a group of women, because I think every other marathon I've ran, I ended up being solo. I mean, I don't think I'll forget the people around me for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think that there's something to be said about the... And I know men are supportive of one another too, but I do think that there's something um, beautiful and special about women um, women working together in these types of situations. Um, it's just like, I don't know, it's like you, they, you, they really are like your sisters in sport. Like you just feel um, this connection to your neighbor running next to you who you probably have no idea who they are. You probably will never meet them again, but, um, it's a connection that is like this. It's very intimate, but it's intimate in a way that I don't know if I could describe it because it only pertains to like that relationship that you share in the moment when you're both like working your butts off right. or something that's so important to you both and you don't have to talk about it, but you just know that like everyone around you is, it's just as important to them, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's a super specific situation, but yes, I'm sure. And I'm sure it could be replicated in other, you know, for other people in different ways. And, um, yeah, you're right about the, the bond with women, but also like our two pacers were men and they were amazing as well. Aww. I should 
fail to mention that because they, I mean, one of them had to pull out. He had her hamstring or something, but after the race, they were both like, you know, going around, did you make it? Did you do it? And then they would just uh, be so happy for us. <laughs> They're like, yes, we did it. And they so were great. so happy. I mean, just genuinely like, it was, it was amazing. The whole day was amazing. Oh, that sounds so special. Was your husband and your kids waiting for you at the end? So for this race, we actually left the kids at home just because, um, it's hard. So my husband wanted to, he got a bike and he, man, he made it to so many different checkpoints. I don't even know how he did it. So he would bike to like the four mile mark, I think was the first time I saw him. And so I see him and I'm like waving and he's like, save your energy. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. And then. (laughs) And then, you know, running on and he like races to the next and he's like, he was so, he made it to so many checkpoints. He was so amazing. And then he was there at the finish and, um, yeah, just like crossing the line. He was right there. And it was a very, very special moment because I knew how much it meant to him, um, and how much he had wanted to do that for himself, but he was just as happy, if not more that. I accomplished it. So it was really special. Oh, what a good, what a good guy. What a good husband. (laughs) That's a great guy. (laughs) That's so sweet. Especially that he was there at like a mile four. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So many Uh, points along the way. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, well, so what are you, you, you said that your goal is that, um, you would like the A standard, but, um, do you have women that you're training with or like, what does your training look like? And what are, what are some of the things you're doing to make that jump? Because what is it? Is it, uh, one or not one, sorry. Is it, um, two hours and 37 minutes or two thirty-eight? I believe it's two thirty-seven. Okay. So, so that's, I mean, not a huge jump. And you said that you did run conservatively, but like, what are some of the things you're doing to get to that place? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, one thing that I really, really lacked on was mileage. I think I only got to, I'm probably maxed out at like 75 miles one week of that marathon build. Um, and it's, it's really just time constraints. Um, I definitely have the motivation (laughs) to run more. Um, I just don't have the time. So this fall, I've just kind of, um, decided that I'm just going to make time. However, that means, you know, if I have to get a babysitter for a little extra, they're both, they're both now in school, um, pre-K and first grade, which helps a ton. So that's kind of where I'm finding that time from. Mm -hmm. Um, and then last year, one of the workouts I did that I loved and I only did one of them. And after I did it, I was like, that was, most horrible yet fantastic thing ever. And I feel like because of that, I felt the confidence and, um, like the, I felt like the, the workout itself, um, would lend to really helping me get my time. And it was just, a like a fast finish long run, like running. I think I did an hour, 45 minute long run, just at an easy pace. And then the last hour, and actually it was the last 59 minutes cause it was the total run was going to be two hours, 44 minutes, like just to kind of, you know, mentally play on the amount of time that I would be running if I was going to run a marathon. And so then the last hour was at marathon pace mm. and, um, and that was so fantastic. And, and then I've, I've just heard, um, 
I, I think at the time that was the most I could have done. But now that I've had another season of mileage and building on stuff, I could, I could do it for longer. Um, and I think that would help a ton. So I definitely, um, increasing mileage and those specific type of types of workouts that I think my body really responds to, um, just better recovery because I'm such a busy person. I don't like to sit still. Um, (laughs) and I'm always doing something, but I'm kind of forcing myself to take the recovery (laughs) because is the point of doing all the work if you're not going to benefit from it. Uh, it's so hard though if you're that personality type where you're like, um, what is sitting? <laughs> I feel that too. I my boyfriend um is my my coach and he will say to me like, um, what are you doing? You're self sabotaging yourself. Like, why are you choosing this moment to like go and like do intense yard work? <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh, yes, that's my biggest. I love yard work, and then. Me too. <laughs> in the backyard playing soccer I'm like well I want to play with them right. I want to be a part of their you know little lives and so now I'm kind of forcing myself to go sit and watch them yeah which Cheer is like, uh, I'm sure it's like yeah it's it's so hard man to get that like uh I I totally it's an interest it's a you know it's a lucky struggle to have right that you you know don't like to be lazy I guess you could say but I I can feel it because I'm I'm right in that boat. I'm always just like, I need to take a chill pill. There's nothing that has to happen right now. I don't need to get up and uh, organize the silverware drawer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so funny. Like little things that are just not, you know. <laughs> um, so do you do you have uh, training partners or do you do everything by yourself? Oh, um, I pretty much do everything by myself. Um, there are a couple of girls that I'll try and get out and run with, but I think because I have such a sporadic running schedule, like I just do it when I can. And, um, that's kind of frustrating. (laughs) Some days I'm like, am I, you know, start like feeling a little anxious. Like, am I going to get this in? Like, am I going to get my run done today? Cause when am I going to do this? Um, but a lot of times it's very last minute, like a friend, asks for the boys to come over and play. And I'm like, okay, now, now I got to go now. So I don't really have time to plan ahead. Right. But for some of the bigger ones I do like that, um, the one I was telling you about where I did like the hour 45 minutes and then, um, the last hour at marathon pace, that was like a, what, like a finely orchestrated workout. I mean, I had, I, I went down to Longmont, Colorado, which is just North of Boulder. I had, um, my friend, Becky, um, running with me the first hour 45. And then my friend Dave, who actually is one of the owners of shoes and brews, which is a running shoe store, um, in Longmont that sells running shoes. And also they have a, they, they brew their own beer. So he's a big runner and he paced me the last, um, the last hour. And then, um, I mean, it was like, you know, just very involved, getting all the details yeah. right weeks in advance. Like, who's watching? It sounds like pro status. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like you know, that's kind of probably what the professionals do for every workout. But like, um, for for those elite women like yourself, I loved the term that um, 
you, you're probably also familiar with Sarah McDonald or Sarah Robinson. The um, yeah, she, so yeah. I, she ran at CSU when my husband was there, oh. so I think they know each other. Oh, that's so funny. She, um, so she just, I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but she just had her second baby, but, um, she, she qualified for the trials in 2016. Um, and she was funny. She always referred to herself as a faux pro. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's funny. I always say like gangster style, like pro faux show. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. So that's like it sounds like it was like that was like your one workout where you were like, all right, this is going to be like legit, taking it seriously, pulling out all the stops. But it's funny to think about how like the the pro pros like that's what every workout looks like probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know exactly. It's true. <laughs> and bruise and shoes. That sounds like a phenomenal conversation like combination. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Genius. <laughs> yes, genius. Um, well. I will ask you one more running related question and then I'm going to start to ask you into podcast questions because I, like I usually do, have kept you chatting now for almost an hour. Um, (laughs) But I do, I am curious. I know that you have that A goal um, for for the marathon, but do you have any other... um, any other running goals or maybe even professional goals or I don't know, maybe not related to either that you have sort of anticipating the future kind of thing? Um, yes. So I feel like every time, and I love this, I'm not, um, I don't think it's a bad thing. Every time I reach a goal. So like for last year, CIM, my goal was 244.59 or lower. Mm-hmm. And I like the instant I crossed the line. I was like, and now I want to go faster. (laughs) (laughs) And I really thought I would get to that point and just think I'm satisfied. I'm totally satisfied. Wouldn't even have to run at the trials, but I think I just keep, I mean, as I said before, like I like to set a goal and accomplish it before I think too far ahead. Mm -hmm. But, um, I know that once I get the, once I reach that goal, I will have another one. Um, I'd love to run one of the majors. Um, I haven't done that just logistics and timing haven't worked out. So I'd love to see what I can do on that kind of stage. And then, um, this year has been so fun because I've got to travel to a lot of, um, races around the country. And I would love to do that more. That's Mm. just the, the pro circuit, um, road racing. Sorry, my son is, no, you're fine. Question. Um, yeah, so just traveling and running more. I think that's my favorite combination. Um, getting to travel and going to more races and just seeing, getting the best out of myself and seeing how far I can take it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, um, don't want to keep you from your little guy. (laughs) So I'll start to ask you some of the end of the podcast questions. Do you, do you, you, you're more than welcome to, um, chat with him for a bit if if he needs you no no he's good thank you okay okay um yeah no worries there um so are you familiar with my end of the podcast questions a little bit yes okay um so I'll probably just ask them in random order because I don't have a a list I just I just have them in my head (laughs) so um the first question is um if you could pick a 
Disney character, movie, fictional character um, that kind of sums up, you know, maybe who you would be if you were like a superhero or a shiro, if you will. Um, who would you pick? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about this one. That's funny because I was thinking about this and I was just getting so serious about it. Like, well, obviously it'd have to be something to solve like these big world problems and I'm like <laughs> this is getting too serious and I decided um what is like the little ant the ant lady the one that can shrink I oh. think it's so fun to just be a fly on the wall sometimes and it's just <laughs> funny instead of like getting too serious about superhero powers <laughs> <laughs> you're probably trying to think of like the best like social like a, is there a social justice superhero I don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah I was and I don't know if they they should do a Disney princess like or some sort of Disney movie where like the main character is like a you know badass like woman social justice crime fighter character I don't know but that would be cool yes yeah that's what I had in mind (laughs) and also fly on the wall I think that that is also could also be a great little a great little power Um, interesting conversations (laughs) um so next question is if you could pick a living thing that embodies your your spirit what would you pick okay so one of my favorite um oh wait is it any living thing well I normally do what I I normally should have said like a plant or a tree or a flower but it could be any living thing Okay, well, I'll just go with, um, so my favorite tree is aspen tree, mm-hmm. and um, I love them because they, so they grow in colonies, their root system, so each single tree is actually connected underground in their root system with all the other trees, and I've often thought, like, that's kind of how we as humans are, like, we're all these individual people, but we're really all connected, mm-hmm. and um I think, I don't know, to me, I probably romanticize it and I just think it's really cool. And then they are really, they persist in really bad, um, like when there's a fire, they they really are a hardy tree and they come back from um, adversity. And so I've always liked that about them. So I'd be an aspen tree. <laughs> That's beautiful. I uh, quickly, I, that just made me think my, um, my mom always gives, gave us, I guess, and she still gives us, she gives us kind of like art when we graduate or like for Christmas presents. Like it's more like, okay, you know, you, you probably have everything that you need, but I'm going to give you something that I think you'll enjoy having in your home or wherever you live that is beautiful kind of thing. Um, that, you know, we probably wouldn't buy for ourselves cause we're 20 something year olds who don't buy <laughs> ourselves art. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And one of the things that she bought my sister when she graduated from high school was this picture of aspen trees. And um, the picture was – I th- I'm pretty sure she had it specially made, but it was four, tr- four trees. Um, and it showed the trees growing, and then it showed how their roots were all connected underneath the – um, underneath the soil and it was, you know, to signify cause there's four of us kids and it was just to signify like, however, yeah, however big you grow, like you're still, you still are connected to, um, you know, to your roots and to the people that you love. And, um, 
how that stuff, even though it might not always be visible, it's it's always it's always still there. So I really like that. I've never had someone say an Aspen before, but that's cool. uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I I like your story as well. That's <laughs> yeah, had to had to throw it in there. Yeah. Um, so next question is, what does being a woman mean to you? So I think one of the things that um, I used to feel kind of a lot of guilt when I would go run, like, especially if I had to leave the boys with like a, a sitter or something and they didn't love it. And, but then I thought, you know, as their mother, like, it's kind of my duty to show them that I um, will, I can chase after my dreams and I should be happy. And like, um, just the example that's set for them, um, and how they, how I hope that they will be when they grow up of, of taking time for themselves and making things important and making themselves important and giving their, um, whoever they end up with in life or friends or whoever, um, giving those people that as well. But I also think there's this, um, so because I have boys, that's why I, I think in that way. But as far as other women, I think there is this, um, I don't know, disconnect between, there are a lot of women who are very empowered, but, and maybe it's from growing up in the Midwest. I also know a lot of women who, um, who don't feel that way, who don't feel like, um, the, that they have the strength to be on their own or that they, mm. you know, it's a very, um, just pioneer way of thinking, I guess, or, um, I think it's our duty to empower other women and, um, I don't know, help, help that, help everyone just feel like they can accomplish what they want in life and respect themselves and, um, reach for things that are out of their comfort zone. So mm. I think women empowering women has become this really big movement and, um, and I love it. Me too. But I think we can do more. I yes. think, I think there's a, a segment that we're maybe missing out on that I think we really should go after. I really appreciate you, um, you know, bringing that dynamic into that, answering that question. Um, so you grew up in the Midwest. Where, where did you grow up? Um, so Kansas. Okay. Like, yes. Yeah. So that's so interesting because I – and I've been, I, I'm not, I'm going to try to not digress too much here, but I think that what you just said was really interesting. Um, I moved to the Midwest for graduate school from New Hampshire, and I moved a lot as I was growing up, but I, you know, didn't, I, I never, and I also, I'd come from a household where that that's very matriarchal in the sense that my mom has always been, um, definitely not in charge, I would say, but like absolutely an equal to my father um, and their partners, right? Like their friends, their partners, their, yeah, you know, awesome. their best buds, like, and they make decisions together. And um, my mom is a very independent, empowered individual, as are my aunts and my, my grandmother. Um, so I think obviously that plays a huge role in it too. But also I think coming from New Hampshire and coming from a very liberal part of the country, um, and going to a very small liberal arts college uh, kind of 
created this um, narrative in my mind or this reality that is not actually everyone's reality, which is that we're kind of living in like a very, you know, that, that yeah, there's still some issues with inequality, but that like for the most part, you know, women are treated as equals. And then I moved here and immediately found that my way of thinking was just so foreign from some of my my peers and, um, you know, some of the, my peers in my program even. And I, you know, had this conflict of like, how are these women – and this is all on me, right? Like these are my own judgments that I, you know, just did, I hadn't thought it through fully. Like how are these women who are educated and are, um, you know, so capable, like how are they falling into these molds – of like needing to get married or already being married right away or and like you know talking about their significant other and not that there's anything wrong with getting married young but just talking about their significant other in a way that makes it seem like they are the head of the household and that like they're like kind of I don't know you probably know what I'm trying to say I do yes totally I mean right yeah I think you know I in high school, I remember thinking, and this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I remember thinking like, well, you graduate from school, maybe like go to college, but then you get married and have kids. Like that's the role. <laughs> that, right. Um, right. And, and I think that, sorry, you kind of cut out a little bit and I think you were trying to say something and I started to interrupt you. <laughs> sorry. No, I was just saying that's, that's just what, girls and young women see is um, getting, you know, giving up their independence and getting married and having babies and not doing anything else really. Not to generalize, right. not to overgeneralize, but um, yes. I did yes. see that. Right. And I think where the issue lies, and it's kind of hard to piece it apart because I think what, what I think this is what you're saying, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, and this is also what, and this is definitely what I have thought to myself, is that I would come home and complain to my boyfriend about how frustrated I felt with, I mean, mostly just the fact that I felt like I was having a hard time connecting with some of, you know, with, with women in my cohort because, I was like, they're, they're they're just so different than me and their values look so different than mine. And I don't know, I don't know if I can cut this Midwest thing. Like, I don't know if I'll ever be like a, you know, like a Midwest woman. Like, that's just not who I'm ever going to be. And I'm never going to be the type of person who, um, you know, keeps my mouth shut and smiles even when I don't want to. And, you know, is kind of like always really nice and sweet. And um, like, that's just not who I am. And my boyfriend was like, well, I mean, you just have to remember, though, Kate, that the answer is not to, like, judge them, <laughs> um, you know, and the answer is more just to, um, number one, remember that everyone comes from somewhere, um, and number two, that you also have to, like, you're never going to make an impact if you choose to immediately become defensive because they're not like you and they don't fit your ideal of femininity, and I was like, okay, like that is so spot on. And I think the yeah. biggest thing is mostly just that I just don't – I would love to figure out a way to encourage women to 
have those dreams of having a family and having a husband if that's what they want um, and a home because those are lovely things. And I look forward to those things myself. But I think what's still happening that's a disservice to women and girls is that there's not enough being done to show how that's just one little facet of who you are as a woman. Because I think it's still the message is, yes, women and men are equal, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that's kind of where I'm at with that. And I don't know if that's kind of what you were getting at. Totally agree with you. Yes. Thanks for putting that in better words. It's, you know, it's hard because you definitely don't want to be judgy or condescending. Um, You know, it it comes back to perspective and what, um, what people have seen and what, I mean, like I said at the beginning, you don't know what you don't know. And I think, um, I forgot to mention earlier (laughs) that one of my biggest just kind of like mindset changes was when I did in college, um, kind of get way out of my comfort zone and do a study abroad Yes, uh, in Australia. And, and I don't want to digress too far again, but no, no, go ahead. I, I, you know, uh, I would love to hear about it. Yeah. So I got to travel, um, doing a study abroad to Australia and I think it just, it just made me see so many other options and what was out there. I think it was one of the most valuable things, um, I ever did. And then I also just, you know, being on my own, I, um, had to make all of my own decisions and talking with people from around the world and just really seeing how much was out there. And I think, um, that just opened my mind so much and I think everybody should do it. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, so you did that in college. I did. Yes. Yeah. And so you were, um, you know, did you, did you grow up? Did you, were you like born and raised in Kansas? I was. Yes. Okay. Um, and then where did you go to college again? I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, I went to K-State. So okay. Kansas State University. So still in Kansas, but mm-hmm. you know, a couple of hours away. <laughs> Yeah. So that must have been life changing for you. Yes, it definitely was. I mean, there were, there were days when I, even just from morning to evening, I would look back on the day and just think I am now a totally new person because of what I just experienced today Oh wow! Um, and the things that I learned. So yeah, it really was, um, very empowering, very independent, um, or, you know, I'm lucky, I guess, in a way that I was born pretty stubborn and I was going to figure it out no matter what. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I wish that there was more of a, if I could somehow wave a magic wand and be like a, you know, higher education, state school policymaker, I would be like every, you know, it should be part of the curriculum that everybody spends six months abroad. <laughs> yes, I totally agree. <laughs> like, just build it in, you know, so that it's not something that you necessarily have to worry about like, okay, how am I going to make this work financially and do all of these extra things? It's almost like a, this is a requirement. It's part of the education process to make you like a better global citizen and, you know, but obviously, totally, because that's not even a desire for a lot of people, which is fine. Except that I think that nobody would do it and be like, "I totally regret that." I think right. they look back and be like, 
I am glad that that was made possible and that that happened. Mm -hmm. And I also think too, um, and I'm sure that many people will disagree with me, but this is just my personal opinion. I don't necessarily think that we – I don't necessarily think that someone – who would be in a position where they were like, if going to college means that I have to expand my worldview and travel, then it's not for me. I tend to think, okay, maybe you're not ready for college. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I agree with you. (laughs) And I mean, like, that's controversial, right? Because like people have a right to want to like, you know, stay put and that kind of thing. But, you know, I, that's just my opinion. (laughs) For what it's worth. Go back and stay put. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the next question, and this you you might have just answered it, um, is what is the bravest thing you've ever done? Oh, yeah. I think I think maybe I did answer it, but I'll like side note on that. So um, that was in two thousand and two. Um, And they had like this funny thing. I don't even know if you can do this anymore, but I was able to get this. I'm like my layover was in Fiji for coming back home. And there was this weird thing where instead of doing a layover for four hours, I could do it for like four weeks at no extra cost. And I was totally out of money. I mean, it's the end of the trip, but it's like, I'm just going to do it. And so I did this, um, this layover and I just traveled. And I think part of why this was, um, why I count this as like one of the bravest things is because, I mean, I didn't know the culture or the language and I, I went not just from the main Island, but I kind of like Island hopped all the way out to the end. And I, it's probably my first real encounter with poverty and, um, you know, it's just seeing how the differences and how people live. And it was really an eye-opening experience. Um, I kind of survived like living on coconuts and like, <laughs> it's like it was the end of the line, but um, it was really, it was really cool. And I think um, probably kind of dangerous and, you know, you're young and kind of I at least was a little bit more of a daredevil um, and thought it was invincible, Mm. but I can't even imagine, I can't imagine doing that now, just taking off and, and doing something like that. But it was so, it was so worth it. Yeah. I think about that too. Um, I mean, I'm not super far beyond my, um, you know, early, early twenties. I'm really not far beyond them at all. And, and my like later teenage years, I guess, but I'm already starting to look back on certain things that I decided to do and thinking to myself, thank goodness I made the choice to do that then because I wouldn't, I wouldn't now, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's just cause like my frontal lobe is finally fully developed or. <laughs> right. Goodness for that. Right. But whatever it is, I just wouldn't take that chance today. <laughs> yes, totally. But man, I'm glad I did what I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Worked um, out luckily. Yeah, right, right. Um, well, final question is, and we've, you know, we've been talking about this, but um, kind of puts a little, a little cap on, on the conversation. What are you currently chasing? Oh man, I think, um, 
life, just like that feeling of, um, a feeling like you really are getting the most out of life and just through trying to be, trying to be like an advocate for, um, women in sport and helping new moms or newish or women in general. I don't know. I, I, I think when I first got back into it as a new mom, um, I mean, man, the learning curve is so high. Yeah. <laughs> you got literally being in diapers to trying to like figure out this exercising thing with babies. And it just helps so much to have somebody who's been through it and kind of like guide you along the way. So yeah. um, I had a little bit of, of that um, after having my kids and I thought, oh, you know, there should definitely be more because it's hard. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I, yeah. I've heard that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I hear that from clients. I I haven't experienced it yet myself, but, um, I've heard that from everyone and, and I've also just heard it clinically quite a bit, just how common it is for it to just be like a really beautiful, difficult time. (laughs) Yes. That's a great way to describe it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Amory, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Um, I I knew that I would enjoy having you on, and you did not disappoint. So thank you again. Oh, thank you. This was so much fun, and I'm so excited to see what you have in store because I know you're going for a full marathon OTQ. <laughs> yeah. So Sorry, at some point. <laughs> It'll happen. Yeah, hopefully. We'll see, but I'll, I'll keep going for it. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, um, we will uh, talk to you soon, and thanks again. Oh, thank you so much. All right, everyone. Wasn't Anne-Marie so sweet? I loved chatting with her and felt like I knew her in person, which is a testament to how laid back and warm she is. For information on Anne-Marie, her social media accounts, and the nonprofit she and her husband both work for, please check the show notes. All of that information and more will be there. For more information on the Chasing Bravery podcast itself, on me, and on the future guests coming up on the show, you can check out the website www.chasingbravery.com or you can follow me on Instagram at chasingbravery06. The link is in the show notes for both of those uh, platforms as well. All right, everyone. I hope that it is starting to feel like fall wherever you are. And I hope that you had a great week and whatever you're chasing, you chase bravely.